welcome to the Wellness Alchemy Podcast. I'm your host, Janelle. I'm a naturopath, herbalist, and nutritionist, and the owner of Seeds of Health. I created the Wellness Alchemy Podcast to bring together three of my favorite topics, health, truth, and adventure. I've just released my three-month skin alchemy program, so please get in contact with me via seedsofhealth.com.au to find out more. On today's episode, I interview Johnny Foreman. He's a speaker, naturopath, exercise scientist, educator, and coach. Johnny wholeheartedly believes that the keys to thriving health and vitality are within you, that your heart and your mind are the greatest apothecary on earth. Let's dive in to learning about how to rewire the toxic masculine. All right, welcome to the podcast, Johnny. Thanks so much for having me, Janelle. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, so we're going to dive into the topic of toxic masculinity today, which is quite a juicy topic. So let's dive in with, with the first question. So um, you work as a naturopath, and I'm curious what drove you as a naturopath to focus on the brain and shedding light on the topic of to- toxic masculinity. Sure. Well, um, I guess like most naturopaths, we're always on a really deep search for root cause medicine, um, you know, always searching for the underlying cause of what's what's causing people's suffering and all these types of things in our world. And after a few years of, you know, working clinically, I just saw, saw this theme of, um, you know, no matter how much up-to-date scientifically backed research and nutrition information, lifestyle information you give people, you can hand it to them on a silver platter and there's just there's always something there that's holding them back from, from actually creating sustainable change. And it just it really led me down that path of, of, um, of neuroscience and um, Bruce Lipton's work of biology and belief and all these types of things just to really see how we're hardwired in, in our nervous system and brain um, to survive above all else and um, really sort of uncovering these little um, subconscious patterns that, that keep people in their destructive behaviours. And it was really an aha moment for me in terms of um, helping people, coach people through that process of change um, and really getting the maximum benefit of the other lifestyle and nutrition factors that we tend to work so much with people. Does that mm. make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a catalyst for it all anyway. And, um, that and the fact that it's, it's just something that I'm really, really passionate about studying is, is how we operate as humans, you know, what makes us tick, what makes us do what we do. And I mm. found it really helpful. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. And do you work mainly with males at the moment with the topic that we're discussing today about toxic masculinity? Do you feel drawn to working mostly with males? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, I'd say it's a, a relatively new found passion of mine. Um, mm-hmm. Just because, like most people, you, you sort of go through your own journey with things and then you feel called to, to sort of help people go through that same experience. But I'm sure you're well aware that, that our industry is very much female dominant and there's, there's no shortage of, of um, female naturopaths out there working with female hormonal health, reproductive health and that type of thing. So I, I think there really is a calling and a, a space for, for men's health when it comes mm. in the natural health realm. Um, so, yeah, and I think in my own experience, 
since having the courage to sort of put myself out there and, and sort of call out men to step step up and sort of take this path, I found it, it's been really well received. Um, that they sort of tend to stand back in the shadows and not come forward for, from fear of, you know, of being ridiculed by that culture. Mm. But it's definitely something I'm delving deeper and deeper into now. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. And just to be able to, as you said before, focus on behavioural patterns so that the rest can fall into place and no doubt they feel just so held or supported by another man as opposed to working with a female naturopath perhaps and maybe not feeling so understood. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a big barrier with men. You know, I think all human beings really fundamentally need to feel safe to be able Mm. to, to change. And, um, you know, for men, there is just, we've just accumulated so much armor, so many, so many masks that we sort of hide behind. And, um, yeah, it takes, it does take that, that feeling of, of being in a safe space that oftentimes needs that, that masculine energy to, to happen. Mm, mm, to be able to relate to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So on the topic of behaviours, um, how do you view the brain in terms of checkpoints and how does this affect the access to our conscious mind or our neocortex? That's a really interesting piece that I want to discuss with you. Yeah. Yeah. This was a, this was a game changer for me. Um, I was actually brought, my awareness was brought to this by a man, a mentor of mine called Ben Harvey. He, um, he runs a company called Authentic Education in Sydney. I um, really encourage anybody to check, check out their work. But, um, yeah, he referenced the work of a, of a neuroscientist called uh, Paul McLean, and he was a neuroscientist that basically um, pioneered this model um, of the triune brain that um, pretty much breaks down the the brain structures into um, biological computers, I guess, that each need specific, um, they have specific needs uh, that need to be met um, in order for us to feel safe in the world. And it, and it really was a, an evolutionary sort of development um, over millions of years as we sort of evolved as mammals. And it, it really clicked for me because, like I said, we are hardwired for survival because we've only lived in this safe, um, civilised civilization up environment for like less than one percent of our time on earth so all of our, our physiology our biology especially our nervous systems and brains are adapted to a very very different world to the one we live in today um, so i guess i just break it down into those three checkpoints because these three parts of the brain that we call the the reptilian brain the limbic brain and the neocortex um all information that comes in through our senses, like everything we see in our environment, everything we hear, everything we affirm to ourselves, all the goals that we want to work towards, all of this information has to get through these checkpoints to be determined if it's safe, right? And if, it, if it's deemed unsafe, then we'll go into some form of distress and we can't move forward with it. So this reptilian brain, it's, it's checkpoint number one and it, and it sits at the base of the brainstem and it's, it really is the seat of our fight or flight response. And it's, it's the most primal part of our brain and it's only concerned with survival. It's all it cares about. It has no emotion, nothing. And its job is to really determine how safe you are immediately. So it needs to know what's going to happen in your day, in your life, in the next three or four minutes type of thing. Mm-hmm. So the reason that is is because it needs to experience certainty and safety 
or familiarity, right? Because if you're a human being out there in the in the bush without all the civilization, it makes sense for us to have some sort of mechanism that will trigger a survival mechanism if we perceive some type of threat. So if, if we can be sure, if it can be sure that there isn't a tiger hiding around the corner in the next five minutes, then you're a bit more guaranteed to survive, if that makes sense. Mm. So it's just, if, if information doesn't get past that first checkpoint, if we don't perceive something to be safe, then we'll immediately be on some, some type of distress sequence. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that's checkpoint number one. And if, if information is, you know, deemed safe by that, that hind brain, that reptilian brain, it will pass through to our limbic system. And um, so the, the limbic system and, and our reptilian brain are very much subconscious parts of our mind, right? We, we don't consciously think about these parts of the brain. But our limbic system is where that instinct of, the, of our reptilian brain merges with emotion. And the role of this limbic brain is to really download and decode all of the sensory information happening during a particular experience and assign that information to a, an emotion and then create a very powerful subconscious program in that moment that can be fired up in the future when we find ourselves in a similar situation. And that's also a, a very powerful survival mechanism and I usually try and use an example just to shine a bit more clarity on that. And the one that I tend to use is um, public speaking because, you know, 9 out of 10 people have this deep fear of public speaking. And that usually stems from the classroom um, when you got up and had to do some sort of speech in school, right? And most of us have no fear initially, but we get up and we start to put ourselves out there, we get a little bit vulnerable, we share a message, and then maybe a few of our friends are laughing at us, pointing the finger. Maybe a few people on the other side of the room uh, are talking amongst themselves and not taking you seriously. And then a teacher might get up and criticise you, right, and you take that personally and you go into distress. So your heart rate goes up, you start to feel a bit sweaty, all these types of things. And what the limbic brain does is instantly downloads, decodes all that information, right? So the, what's being said, the tones and postures and facial expressions of all the people talking, um, everything that that um, authority figure or the teacher in the room said, all of it decodes that and assigns all that information to fear or some other type of stressful emotion. And then it creates this subconscious program that will be fired up very instantly, very instinctively in the future, even as an adult, when you find yourself putting yourself out there, getting up in front of a group of people to share a message. And that is, and you'll find it instantly, you know, someone doesn't even have to ask you to get up and share and instantly that's fired up and you go into distress. And that's what you see in a lot of people. Um, and that's a, a very powerful program that's running in so many people. And that's just one example, right? We have, we have limbic programs for how we communicate with people, how we receive intimacy, how we deal with conflict, all of these things. So that's essentially what the limbic system does. So mm. that's the first two checkpoints and they're what we call the old brain. So that's very much a subconscious part of our mind, right? Um, so all information has to get through them checkpoints before we reach this neocortex, which is essentially the part of the brain that we want to be operating from as much as we can. Right? It's, the, it's our conscious mind. It's the part of the brain that differentiates us so much from all of the other forms of life on planet Earth. That's um, what allows us to empathise with another human being, to be present in the present moment, to 
um, be creative, to be logical, to be rational, to visualise future for ourselves, all these types of things. So in an ideal world, we'd be operating from as much as we can. But what Joe Dispenza's work and Bruce Lipton's work has shown me is that it turns out we only operate from this conscious mind 5% of the time, Mm. which is pretty shocking. Um, But again, it was marrying that work with this trying brain that really was a light bulb for me because it really does make sense from an evolutionary perspective for us to be operating on autopilot for the majority of our days from a survival perspective. Mm. Um, The only difference, we don't live in that world anymore, right? We're not faced with saber-toothed tigers or, you know, maybe crocodiles up where you are, but um, (laughs) for the most part we're not not, um, encountering the same types of stress, yet these programs are still being created um, because... When I say that, that that the limbic brain and the reptilian brain of ours need certainty, a really surefire way to guarantee that certainty is to um, essentially addict you to the things that you did yesterday because, and this is the key part for me with helping people through change, is that if you engaged in a whole heap of behaviours yesterday and those behaviours didn't kill you, our primitive brain will register that as a survival pattern. It essentially chimes in and says, awesome job, all those things you did yesterday, you didn't, you didn't die, I'm, I'm certain that those are safe, so just continued making those same choices and behaviours to, tomorrow and the next day because I'm, I can tell that they're safe, right? So what I found working with people is that, you know, you can come in and try and flip their diet upside down, you can try and flip all their lifestyle factors upside down, but that immediately removes certainty from their life which is always going to trigger some type of distress and they they won't feel completely safe in terms of moving forward with change yeah Mm. does that make sense yeah definitely so it massively impacts you know men's health running well men and women but for the topic of today impacting men's health and yeah i had learned about that um subconscious tape that plays um, through yeah. Bruce Lipton's work, you know, 95% of the day we're running off that and you've explained that beautifully and how that autopilot just doesn't serve wellness and um, massively impacts men's health. So I guess how do you suggest men support themselves in their health um, with this pattern that's playing out? How do, how do you navigate that with them? Well, firstly, I find like understanding that concept um, can be very empowering because, you know, we all find ourselves, you know, engaging in these sort of sabotage type of behaviours mm-hmm. all the time. And, you know, learning about this operating system of ours um, takes the edge off because I see, especially with women but men as well, they, they sort of they beat themselves up. They start their journey from this sort of place of I'm weak, um, I'm self-loathing, I don't like myself, that type of thing. But when you sort of learn this mechanism and understand that, you know, you're not weak, you just have this very deep, hardwired, primitive operating system that is literally doing everything it can to keep you alive. Mm. It, It has done nothing to support you your entire life. And when you come to terms with that and then you can start to identify which checkpoint you're stuck at, which I think is really powerful. Mm. So you'll find... <clears throat> that if you're if you just get reactive and emotional, um, you know you might be stuck at checkpoint number two. 
right, in the limbic brain. If you are just always sort of feeling anxious, if you are always on edge and running around um, sort of in fight or flight mode, then you're probably stuck at checkpoint number one. You know, so being able to identify which one you're sort of operating from the most is, is really powerful because that's always the first step is to shine that light of awareness on to um, which behaviours you're, you're firing up, which programs you're firing up. And the more aware of them you are, the more power you have to rewrite those programs. Mm. And when it comes with, to men, um, you know, I find that it's no coincidence that so many men in our culture go to the pub or, you know, have that habit of having a six-pack after work um, because, you know, what alcohol does is directly just takes, it numbs that limbic brain down. So they find a bit of reprieve from the emotions that they're not really expressing. They have no platform for it. They don't understand how to feel and to process their emotions. So I guess to really address your question, how men can navigate this is to A, break that stigma of, of showing emotion. It's not weak. Um, it's not weak at all. And in fact, I don't really know what's driving that, but a lot of men perceive that women are going to think less of them for being vulnerable. And in my experience, it's the complete opposite. It's what women are seeking is a man that is in touch with his emotions. So, you know, just giving yourself permission first and foremost to get intimate with what you are feeling and to what arises when you do, do start to embark on a health journey is really, really important. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, which just gives gives men that, as you said, sense of understanding and sense of empowerment. Yeah, very different yeah. angle yeah. to come from as opposed to just simply telling them, you know, the first few steps of their health journey. It more comes from a position of a position of choice then. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's important too, because you know, we have this men have this very powerful archetype of you know we need to be a provider we need to be um you know strong and independent and we tend to not ask for help so sort of understanding this operating system and framing it in such a way that you know you give them permission to to express that power in their own way and just saying that yeah you are powerful by doing this work mm. um and in fact you know by in in the going to the pub and mindlessly watching sport and not that they're bad things but you know when they're destructive patterns in you you're actually taking the weaker road in a sense mm. so there is a great power and, and, and sense of um, masculinity that comes from actually doing that in a way for sure yeah and something else I'd add to your previous comment is that they're perhaps those actions are perhaps being done unconsciously it's very different if they're choosing right. to you know, go to the pub or watch sport consciously because it, oh, you know, fills them up or meets a very different need to operating unconsciously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, for sure. Mm. And in one of our initial discussions, you um, pointed out something really interesting that um, there's a large number of diseases that are showing up around men's health that are linked to the lower three chakras. Could you speak to that? Because I found that really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, that, that was another light bulb moment for me. I've had a lot of light bulb moments, but <laughs> I find it beautiful. I guess that's why I'm so addicted to reading um, so many different bodies of work because it really does, you find a lot of 
connections among different people's work. So like with Bruce Lipton's work and the, the Trying Brain. And it was it was reading Caroline Miss. Are you, mm-hmm. you familiar with her work? Yeah. Yeah, it was reading her books that really tied some things together for me because I immediately thought when I was reading about the chakra systems about this Trying Brain and it's just it's, it's, it's no coincidence to me that, you know, our, our operating system is a reflection of our energy centres. Like it's just all so holistically intertwined. Um but basically in that chakra system, our, our survival instincts are very much housed in, in, like you say, the lower three chakras, so sort of from the, the solar plexus down. And in my experience anyway, so many men, our whole culture of masculinity in the world today is, is very much a reflection of those survival instincts. Um, you know, men... A, not knowing how to, how to emote, but also being very reactive and aggressive, you know, that you see all the, the the coward punch type of scenarios happening out in the nightclub scene, all these types of things, the tribal, um, you know, we attach ourselves to a tribe, whether it's a sporting team or our favourite pub or whatever it is, all these types of things are very much a representation of those, those lower chakras. And I guess in that chakra system, you know, we're here spiritually to, to master those lower floors and to transcend to the heart and then up through the higher energy centres. But most of us, men particularly, are stuck in those bottom ones. And like you say, it was another light bulb when I realised just how many of the men's health issues are happening around those energy centres. You know, huge amounts of visceral fat around the abdomen, um, prostate issues, um, colon cancers, erectile dysfunctions, testicular cancers, all these types of things, um, adrenal issues, all of them, they're very, like, very uncannily correlate with those energy centres and, um, you know, energetically I think that speaks volumes. Um, the more energy, stuck energy that we have in those, those lower chakras, the more it's going to impact our tissues, our physiology. And what I love is that, it's not just an esoteric, spiritual sort of woo-woo anymore and the, the people like Caroline Miss and Bruce Lipton and Joe Dispenza are really bridging that gap with science now because at the end of the day, an emotion is a very real thing, right? I don't think anyone would argue that uh, being angry has a very physiological impact on the body. So an emotion is very much an electromagnetic entity right? or, or thing within the body and every cell in our body works on electromagnetism so over time if you aren't processing those emotions if you're not transcending those survival patterns it will disrupt the magnetism and then eventually the physiology of our cells and all those tissues around the body i think that's what that's what's happening with men it's just it's a really Mm. different sort of spin on on Mm. so potent yeah i love the message that you're sharing and um the work that you're doing, I, I, I really um, hope that the men listening um, reach out and we'll definitely be putting all your contact details in, in the show notes. Um, can we wrap up though with speaking about how women can support men in this instance and, you know, trying to prevent or at least support the epidemic of the toxic masculinity? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's such an important Important part of the puzzle for sure. Mm. Um, you know, when it comes to relationships, especially, so many problems come from miscommunication. 
in fact, I'd say all problems come from miscommunication. So, you know, a lot of women and men tend to project what's important to them onto their partner and expect them to live according to their values and that's just never going to work. So, you know, women sort of just wanting to change their man, coming at it from that perspective is never going to work. Um, it's always going to sort of emasculate the man in some way. Um, so understanding that men are very much hardwired differently. Um, I think it was men, men are from Mars, women from Venus was, was pretty potent for me in that, you know, that idea that we're, we're the provider, we're out evolutionarily hunting in silence, not talking, while women are typically rearing children and um, gathering and weaving baskets and talking amongst this, uh, each other sort of thing. So having an understanding that, you know, sometimes men need a little bit of space to process things but also understanding that, you know, for him to feel safe is always going to be the most powerful way to move forward to um, sort of, you know, not judge him and be gentle with his, um, with the process of change because it, it, it is a huge ego depth in a sense with this work for men um, because, you know, probably more than anyone, we, we wear more hats and accumulate armour so it's just a matter of chipping away at that armor slowly over time. Um, yeah, and, and sort of, yeah, I guess the most powerful point of all that is to is just to have that, that gentleness and that understanding that it is a hard thing for a man's pride to admit that he's been operating subconsciously from all these destructive behaviours his whole life and it's going to take a little bit of time, a little bit of energy, a little bit of gentleness to move through the process of change. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I hear you on that. Yeah. Mm. Thank you, Johnny. Um, is there anything you wanted to share before we wrap up? Um, no, I think we covered most things. I guess what I'd like to say most for the for the for everyone, but for the men that are listening, you know, <clears throat> it, you know. Just give yourself permission to to work on yourself. It's it's mm. it's not weak. It's it's nothing like that. And I think it's the most powerful, masculine, strong sign of strength that you can ever do is to to take that leap to to learn how to master these survival instincts, um, how to master your emotions and and how to how to communicate them and not let them run you. Um, it really is the most freeing thing ever. And there's plenty of, of resources, there's plenty of communities out there now that are doing this. Um, I feel like men are stepping up all over the place um, doing the work because it really is a sign, like it, it represents what this toxic masculinity has done for the world with all of the, the, the crises that we're sort of suffering with now. It's, it's all the result of that, that, that culture. So, um, yeah, reach out, reach out to me, reach out to, to other people health professionals and just and give yourself permission to, to take that step. Mm, yeah, and I know you've got um, some epic book lists on your website. So, um, yeah. yeah, the listeners can definitely scan through that and if they're avid readers, perhaps pick a few to kick off the the time of change. Mm. Yeah, for sure. sure. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, thanks, Johnny, for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's, it's Thanks for tuning in to the Wellness Alchemy podcast. 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave a review on iTunes and definitely subscribe to the podcast and do check out my new three-month skin alchemy program by heading to seedsofhealth.com.au. Bye for now. Thank you.